While we are receiving the offering here in our service, let me share a great need, your prayers. Please pray with us that God would use and bless the Foothills Baptist Gospel Hour. This program is a ministry of Foothills Baptist Church of Loveland. If the Lord would lay on your heart to donate to the Foothills Baptist Gospel Hour, we will provide our contact information at the end of this program. We will now return to the service. A ruler once came to Jesus by night To ask him the way of salvation and light The master made answer in words true and plain Ye must be born again Ye children of men, attend to the word So solemnly uttered by Jesus the Lord And let not this message to you be in vain Ye must be born again Ye must be born again Ye must be born again I verily, verily say unto thee Ye must be born again to see at the beautiful gate may be watching for thee then list to the note of this solemn refrain ye must be born again ye must be born again ye must be born again I verily verily say unto you must be born again. I verily, verily say unto you, ye must be born again. Take your Bibles with me and open to the Gospel of Luke chapter 10. The Gospel of Luke in chapter 10. I am about to read a passage of Scripture that even some of the uh, uh, literary critics, as they are, have hailed it as the greatest story ever told. Now, this lesson on the Good Samaritan is typically included among the parables of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, you'll find most that will call it a parable. There is a question as to whether it was or was not a parable. First, Jesus did not introduce it as a parable, and uh, so we don't... We can't say it's a parable by his direct statement. And those that have raised the question have raised it in this way. For Jesus to tell a story to a Jewish audience that made the Jewish people look bad and a Samaritan look very good most likely would have been very futile. In fact, it probably would have, could have fallen on its face. Uh, however, some believe that this could have been a real incident. 
You know, if, if it was a, a parable that he devised at the time, they would say, well, that's simply a story that you've made up that could never be possible. Uh, a priest or a Levite would never do that. Some think, and here again, this is opinion that's different than thus saith the Lord. Some think this may very well have been a real incident that had happened, and that there was unlikely, or quite likely, witnesses that knew about it, and heard about it. And it had been one of those common stories that you simply didn't talk about in Jewish company because it made a Jew look bad and a Samaritan look good. Now, I do not know whether or not this was a real incident or whether it is truly a parable, as many would agree. Either way, the message of this passage is the same. And it begins with a question, what shall I do? If you're able to stand for the reading of God's Word, I invite you to stand. And Luke chapter 10, I will begin with verse 25. Luke 10, verse 25, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right. This do, and shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, I can almost, let me interrupt here. I can almost see Jesus. Now, he didn't say this, but it would be a good place for him to say, I'm so glad you asked. I'm going to tell you. So let's, let's move forward. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Now we move forward. And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, and wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him, and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him and bound up his wounds and pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him and whatsoever thou spendest more when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. Father, we come to you, and as we consider this passage, where we're looking at some of the great issues 
of life, eternal life, and a Christian life. And so, Father, I pray that you would give wisdom and direction and understanding. And for one that is without Jesus Christ as Savior, I pray that through this message, they would understand what they shall do to have eternal life. And for those that are believers in Christ, Father, use this passage and use this message to challenge us as believers to do the work of our Heavenly Father. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus was teaching in the temple at this point, which was much as his habit and common with the Lord Jesus Christ. He was teaching in the temple and... Probably, again, it would have been one of those occasions where those that were listening would have to say, never a man spoke like this. He spoke with authority. That's because he did have the authority. The Lord Jesus Christ was and is the master teacher. And uh, I look forward to being able to sit in eternity And listen to Jesus teach. I'm sure we will have some opportunities. I don't know what the schedule will be once we get to heaven. But I sure hope it includes Jesus teaching us. I love to listen to a great teacher that understands the Bible and isn't trying to superimpose some personal agenda or trying to make themselves look good or anything like that, but they're able to humbly and graciously and dynamically take the Word of God and put the pieces together and show uh, the great lessons of, the God, of God's Word. And I love that. Well, these people had that privilege to sit in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and listen to, to Him as He taught As one having authority. Now here he is. He's teaching away. And in the midst. He was challenged by a certain lawyer. Now this was a little bit of protocol during that time. That the the scholars and students would gather in the temple. And there would be a little bit of teaching. And then they would debate questions and ask questions. and, And debate issues and all of that. Now, do understand this. The Lord Jesus Christ was not there to debate the issues, but to declare the truth. He didn't need to debate the truth. There's nothing debatable about the truth. But they would come and they would uh, debate issues and debate subject matter and do that. And, And I can understand how this could transpire. When I was going to Bible college... Being married and a town student, I had very little time to socialize with many of the other uh, students going to Bible college at that time. But on uh, a rare occasion, we were able to do that. And it was interesting to listen to the different Bible majors. They would be sitting down and they would say, what is the greatest responsibility of the church today? And they would debate that issue back and forth. One would say, it's to glorify God. Another would say, it's the Great Commission. And I believe God says it's both of them. (laughs) But they would argue vehemently, which is the greater. And I could just watch them. And, And if it wasn't that subject, it was another subject matter. And they would debate the issue. Well, this lawyer was used to that. And so he challenged the Lord Jesus Christ. But do understand... This was not a lawyer in a judicial sense, as when we think of lawyers. 
When we think of lawyers, this little story is probably how we think of lawyers. A judge had opened up a a, uh, trial at his courtroom, and it was a very uh, hotly contested case. And the lawyer for the one side immediately jumped up and accused the, the other lawyer of being a liar. And uh, just that quickly, the opposing lawyer jumped up and said, that lawyer's a thief. With both of their announcements, the judge gavels the bench real hard and asks for silence and said, now that we have had the lawyers introduced, we shall move forward with the trial. (laughs) Well, this is not a lawyer of the judicial fashion, but was a lawyer, a scholar of the Mosaic law. Now, some of that may have been applicable, but he was a scholar of the law. They were supposed to know the law, have a great deal of it memorized, and be able to interpret it and apply it. And so this is that certain lawyer. And he stands. And because we know his motive, I think we can perceive his demeanor in pompously standing and asking, What? shall I do to inherit eternal life? Almost as though he is expecting an answer, nothing, sir, you're so good, you're so wonderful, you have it. But he didn't get that answer. And so he asked, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, let's get serious. Truly, this is one of, if not the greatest question that every man, woman, and child needs to have the right answer to. Because if you have the wrong answer, it means an eternity in hell. And so it is important to have the right answer to this question. And you will find a host of answers out there, but only one is correct. And so, in all of this of his asking, he was not wanting a real answer, but it says that he was tempting the Lord, hoping to trap him and discredit who Jesus Christ really is, and to discredit him in the eyes of all of those that was listening. This was not a new occasion. The, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and, and a variety of them were constantly trying to do this. And this is just another occasion of their attempt to discredit the Lord Jesus Christ. But it didn't work. In fact, we could probably say he fell into his own trap as a result. So what does Jesus do? Here's a man, a scholar of the law, asking one of, one of, if not the most important question of life. How does Jesus answer that? Well, he takes the lawyer back to the law. And he says to the lawyer, uh, what is written in the law? How readest thou? He gave him an opportunity to answer his own question. And he answers it from the law. In this, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind. And thy neighbor as thyself. Jesus Christ said, this is the first and the second greatest commandment of all. Even Jesus Christ said that. 
These two commandments, the first is a representation of the first four commandments of the Ten Commandments, and it deals with our relationship with God. Thou shalt have no other graven images. Thou shalt not bow down to any other God. And, and it goes down, and it, and it defines the relationship with God. The last six defines a relationship with man. And they are, are summarized in these two great commands. And then after he gives them, he simply says, do, and thou shalt live. Now understand this, when he says do, he is not acknowledging that it is possible to work and earn our salvation by keeping the law. I think this answer is God giving a man what he wants, even though it's not what he needs. And letting him hear to start with what he wants to hear, but not what he needs to hear. You know, sometimes God does that to get a man's attention. You go back into uh, the book of Chronicles, I believe it's 2 Chronicles, and where it records the the incident of Ahab and Jehoshaphat, and they're getting ready to go to battle against the enemy. And they have all of these prophets of Baal come in and say, Go to battle, you're going to win this battle, you're great, and, and you're going to have a great victory and all of that. And Jehoshaphat, he's looking around, he says, Where's the man of God? These are all prophets of Baal. And he says, is there not somebody here to speak for God? And and Ahab says, yeah, there's one, but he never says anything good for me. (laughs) I wonder why, (laughs) if you know Ahab. He says, but there is one, Micaiah. He never says anything good. And Jehoshaphat says, well, I'd like to hear what he has to say. So he sends a messenger. The messenger, as he's bringing the prophet of God to the two kings, he says, all the other prophets said they'll win the battle. You need to agree with them. Just put aside your biblical thinking and your commitment to God. Just put all of that aside and just agree with the devil's crowd for a change. He walks in. Ahab says, we're going to battle. They say we're going to win. What do you say? Yeah, go. You're going to win. That's what he says. Makes him mad and says, okay, don't mock me. What does God really say? I don't know if this is the sense in how Jesus says do. To let him hear what he wants to hear. To bring him to that next question. But please be careful. You do not take a conclusion of this to think, ah, if I do this, I can be saved. Because I want to take you to the book of Galatians so that you understand. Here is a principle of Bible interpretation. You interpret the unclear in light of the very clear passages of Scripture. So if you will turn to Galatians, Galatians chapter 2, and I believe this makes it extremely clear. We read in Galatians chapter 2 beginning with verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. That's very clear, very direct. 
But by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by faith of Christ, not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Verse 21, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Chapter 3, verse 21. Chapter 3, verse 21. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the Scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Turn to Romans chapter 3 and we'll build upon that. But here we understand clearly by the direction of the Word of God that you cannot be saved, you cannot inherit eternal life by keeping the law. In Romans chapter 3, beginning with verse 19. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be... What's that next word? Stopped. Let me try that again. What is that next word? Stopped. Stopped. And all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. We'll not go back over to Galatians, but in Galatians it says that the law is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. That's exactly what the law is doing right here in the Gospel of Luke chapter 10. It has brought a self-righteous religious leader who is lost to Christ. And he is presented with Christ. Now, I want us to be careful when we talk about the law. You and I understand very clearly that we are not saved by keeping the law. But there has been a widespread abuse of the phrase, we're not under the law, but under grace. And the abuse is in this fashion. As, the law, as though the law has no impact today and has no relevance for today. Jesus Christ said he did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. You see, the moral law, now, he fulfilled all of the the prophetic aspects of the ceremonial law and the sacrifices, the tabernacle and and, uh, the offerings and everything like that. Christ himself was an absolute fulfillment of every one of those, so those shadows are no longer needed. The moral law, thou shalt have no other God before thee. Thou shalt not have graven images. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not uh, steal. The moral law, the Ten Commandments. Nine of them are still in force and were repeated in the New Testament. The one about the Sabbath was not repeated. And the Bible very clearly says that the Sabbath was given to the Jews as a sign and not to us in the church age. People say, well, we're no longer under the law as though the, the, the moral law has no application. The fact of the matter is, it is still sin to steal on any level. 
you, you can define how big of a thief you are, but whether you steal a penny or hours from your employer, both as a thief, thou shalt not steal. You can lie, whether it be the smallest of a misrepresentation of truth into a lie and call it a white lie or to the biggest, boldest, fattest lies ever told. You're still a liar. It's still sin. Now, you can't be saved simply by always telling the truth. But God reveals through the law what's right and what is wrong. Today, they act as though we live in spiritual anarchy, as though there is no absolute right and no absolute wrong. Folks, that philosophy came from secular humanism and of the devil's crowd. I remember its advent in the late 60s and the 70s. I I was still uh, a very young person, uh, probably elementary to junior high in the 60s, going into high school into the 70s. And I remember hearing this philosophy being promoted in the public schools, the government schools, that there is no absolute right and no absolute wrong, and they would try to teach that in the schools. Sadly to say, many Christians took that and brought it into their seminaries, probably got it right the first time, into their seminaries, and dispensed it to their young preachers and missionaries that went out and promoted it all across the nation and around the world. Folks, the Bible is black and white. It has absolute right and absolute wrong. And so when we talk about the law, There is still an application for the law today that we may know what is right and wrong. And without it, what you have is the worldly churches that embrace every form of sin that the world has. That's what it has brought about. And so bring us back here. The purpose of the law is to show us what is right and wrong. And then it shows us that we are sinners. And so we see that taking place right here. And so the Lord takes him back, asks him to quote the law. He responds the first and second greatest commandment, summarizing the Ten Commandments. Jesus says, do. But it's within this application. If a person could keep all points of the law, and I have to use all points... Because the Bible also says, if you break it in one point, you are guilty of the whole law. So if any person, man, woman, or child, from that point of birth until that point of death, can perfectly keep the law, like Jesus Christ did, can perfectly keep all points of the law, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, every week of the year, and every year of your life, then you would be considered sinless and acceptable before God. But what the law does is it reveals no man can possibly do that. It is an absolute impossibility with the exception of Jesus Christ. (coughs) Now for the lawyer... Rather than being convicted of his sin and failure, it says that he tried to justify himself. And this happens when you're trying to discuss and engage somebody with the gospel message. And now you have revealed to them that they're a sinner, but they don't want to accept the idea that they're a sinner. 
Now, there are some that are very quick and ready to acknowledge, oh, yeah, I'm a sinner, but they're not willing to do anything about it. But there are many who are very self-righteous, very religious, and see themselves as a really good person, like this lawyer, that are not willing to admit that they're a sinner, and so they have to justify themselves, which doesn't work, but this is what he was doing, and this is what is said he was doing. And so he asked the question, who is my neighbor? As I mentioned previously, I could just envision the Lord saying, glad you asked because now I'm going to tell you. And that's what this story about the Good Samaritan does, is it explains who is the neighbor. What Jesus is doing is taking the principal truth of loving thy neighbor as thyself and putting it into an understandable daily practice. Folks, that's kind of what the work of a preacher is doing. He is to take the biblical truth of God's Word to help you understand how to put it in daily practice, to understand it and live it and encourage you to do so. Now, many have used this lesson to justify themselves because of the Lord's exposure of the spiritual failure of the priest and the Levite. As we go into this, this record of, of the priest and the Levite that passed by and, and went to the other side and walked on, we see their failure. And the Lord exposed it. Now, now this was a, a major pathway or highway into Jerusalem. And they would travel it, but it was also one of the most dangerous pathways of all of that area. Someone would say, well, if they were using it so aggressively and so heavily, why didn't they do something to make it safer? You know, sometimes we say that about our own highways. Why don't they fill the potholes? Why don't they make it uh, a little wider or, uh, or do different things? Do you know, sometimes it's easier for them to maintain religious rigmarole than to make things right. Whatever it is, it was a very dangerous place. But as I said, many will try to use this to justify themselves where they're at spiritually today because the Lord criticizes the priest and the Levite. Understand, Jesus is not criticizing the office of the priest. He is not criticizing the family of the Levites. He is not criticizing the use of using the temple and the purpose of the temple for worship. He's not criticizing this. What he is exposing is bad men in God-ordained offices. God ordained through Moses the high priesthood. It was God who set that up. And that had not been terminated yet until Christ fulfilled all of that. God, through Moses, and you go back to Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy, ordained all of the sacrifices and all of the format of worship. By the blessing of God, the Levitical tribe was set aside to be the tribe of the priests. God gave the, the, the plans for the building of the tabernacle and later put His blessing upon the building of the temple. And through this, God put the format of all of the worship and in the schedule and how all of that was to take place. And there was a lot of formalism and a lot, lot of routine that took place. 
But God ordained that, and Jesus Christ was not condemning that. What he was criticizing and exposing was men who were in ordained offices that were misbehaving spiritually. He had said the Pharisees were were like vipers. The Pharisees and Sadducees were like whitewashed sepulchers. And he wasn't condemning the office, but the men who were in the office. (coughs) Because they ceased to be and do what God had called them to do. We bring this forward into today's generation. There are people that will try to justify them and condemn the church and condemn the office of pastor because there are churches that have gone bad. There are preachers and pastors who have been bad. And so they throw all of that out. They think they can abandon all of that. In fact, I've heard, uh, I, I don't know what you call them because they don't want to be called a church. But they're having their assembly and their gathering. Uh, They say, not church, just God. Not religion, just God. Folks, if you throw the local church out, you throw God out. Because Jesus Christ said, I will build my church. When he uses it in that statement, he's talking about the institution of the church. And you'll find that uh, 90 some times he talks about the church in the New Testament. It is a local New Testament church like the church at Ephesus, the church at Jerusalem. He is talking about a local visible assembly of believers. And you'll find that it says that he died for the church. You'll find that he gave the epistles to the church and to the office of the pastor that God ordained. And much of uh, of what is right and wrong of how we should worship and how we should not worship and how we should assemble and how we ought not to assemble. And so when you and then you'll find in Hebrews where he said, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some. But so much the more as you see the day approaching. We might be failing on that. And I'm not talking about those who fail to be into the church house when the doors are open. I'm comparing where we are compared to then. Back then you'll find that they daily met. Some people have asked, why do we meet twice on Sunday and once on Thursday? I said, well, we haven't caught up with the church in the New Testament where they met daily. And and it says, and so much the more as we see the day approaching. So we find that that God puts a high esteem upon the local church and has given them a pastor to have the oversight of the local church. I think we can candidly acknowledge and admit that there are churches that have gone bad. And what a reproach upon the name of our Lord. I think we can candidly and honestly admit that there are pastors that have gone bad and are bad. And what a reproach that is upon the name of our Lord. But don't throw the baby out with the dirty bathwater. God instituted the church. If a church has gone bad, then get into a church that has a pastor. And it is a church that wants to be what God has called us to be and do what God has called us to do. 
And by God's grace, that that's exactly what I want Foothills Baptist Church to be. Now, now he gives that exposure. And he is exposing those that have become obsessed with their self-righteous appearance and their religion and failing to live and do the real work of the ministry. Then, by contrast, the Lord uses the Samaritan to exemplify the heart of loving thy neighbor and doing so with great compassion and mercy. He was a man that had a compassion upon the one in need. You know what? This reminds me of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He was one that had compassion and reached out to that need. He was willing to take certain risk to help. The risk of him being robbed was no different than the risk that the priest and the Levite faced. But he was willing to take that. Our Lord Jesus Christ became a servant. A servant even unto death. He was willing to alter his schedule to reach out. Oh my. If that doesn't preach to you, it does to me. I try to live by a schedule. And something gets in the way of my schedule and it's like, Ah, I'm out of schedule. But you know, sometimes the Lord interrupts our schedule. And we need to be gracious about it. He was willing to make a financial sacrifice to help. He gave his all. And then he said, if that's not enough, when I come back, I'll give more. As I said in several ways, this is a great picture of how Christ reached out to provide eternal life. We as believers are to put on the mind of Christ as we serve a wonderful Lord and Savior and reach out to others. When Jesus then asked the lawyer who was a neighbor, the lawyer correctly answered the one that showed mercy. It was a Samaritan. And then Jesus said, Go and do thou likewise. Knowing full well the heart of this man, that realized he would not, could not give his life 24-7 to fulfill the law. And that he failed. We're left with an abrupt ending to this record. We don't know if it brought this lawyer to a brokenness and a repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't say. Most would imply because of the abruptness that he even hardened his heart and walked away and did not turn to Jesus Christ. That I do not know. He will be accountable to the Lord Jesus Christ and God his maker for the decision that he made at that point. Just as you and I are faced with decisions like this, and especially if a person is lost, this lawyer cannot make your decision, your spouse or parent cannot make that decision, I cannot make that decision, it is a choice that you individually have to make. And then you are accountable to God for the consequences. Truly the law brought him to Christ. 
It revealed his absolute spiritual inadequacy, both in principle and in practice. But how did he leave? I really cannot fill in that blank because I don't know. But I want to close with two important answers to the question, what shall I do? For the lost, whether it be somebody here in the auditorium or listening to this on the radio or watching it on the internet or on Comcast, but for the lost, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? The answer is, understand, you cannot inherit eternal life by keeping the law. The Bible very clearly says no man shall be justified by the keeping of the law. But rather the law was to reveal sin and to reveal to us that we are sinners. And to silence our mouth. And that's exactly what it did. It it shut him up. He was silenced. He couldn't make any more excuses. He couldn't justify himself any more beyond that point. It was futile. He knew he couldn't. It exposes your sinfulness and your inability. And so the answer is, follow the instructions of Romans 10, 9 and 10 and verse 13. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So in the question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Follow the directions of Romans chapter 10. Then for the Christian, for the believer, what shall I do? And I'll just stop the question right there because as a believer, you have received eternal life by repenting of your sin and putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Now take the principle of this law and put it in to daily practice. Let me illustrate this by an event that took place in D.L. Moody's life. When D.L. Moody was attending a convention in Indianapolis, he asked the singer Ira Sankey to to meet him at 6 o'clock on a particular street corner. Ira was probably a little bit uh, inquisitive as to what this was going to be about, but he met him at the street corner. When Ira Sankey arrived, D.L. Moody asked him to stand on this particular box. He had a box there. And he said, would you begin singing? So he began singing. And it wasn't long in Indianapolis there that a crowd started gathering around, listening to the beautiful voice and the great message of the songs that Ira Sankey was singing. And then after the crowd was beginning to assemble, D.L. Moody interrupted him for a moment and said, uh, uh, If you would like, would you follow me over to this opera house? And I have more to say. And they followed him over to the opera house. And they kept coming in until the opera house was absolutely full. And while they were there, he preached the gospel to a spiritually hungry crowd. Well... When the delegates to the convention started to arrive at the building, D.L. Moody stopped his preaching and then said, We must now close as the brethren of the convention wish to come and discuss the question, How do we reach the masses with the gospel? Hmm. One thing I liked about D.L. Moody, and I don't know everything about his life, but he was a man of action. He was a man of service. 
I understand that after he was saved and growing in the Lord, he wanted to teach, and he was given an empty Sunday school room and said, well, we don't have any classes that need a teacher, but here's an empty room. If you want to fill it, fill it and teach it. He filled it beyond its capacity. He got busy doing the will of God. As believers in Christ, we can give a lifetime to seminars and training, but sadly never get the work done. Certainly some good training is right and necessary. But what will I do? Let us not neglect the work of having compassion and showing God's mercy to those in need. I think that is another great lesson we can learn. What shall I do? If you're without Christ, now is the best and most important time to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. As a believer, there's never a better time to start than right now to put biblical principle into daily practice. Father, we come to you today. What a tremendous lesson. I'm sure we could come back multiple times and and reap more golden nuggets of the great truths. But let us grasp this one today. And Father, I plead wherever this message is heard, and especially here, if there is anyone without Jesus Christ, Father, I plead that they would understand the urgency that there will come a point of no more opportunity. And they may regret having passed up this one. And so we plead for the lost to put their faith in Jesus Christ. And then, Father, I plead with myself and others that we will put into practice the great truths of God's Word, that we will have both compassion and mercy on those in need. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Foothills Baptist Gospel Hour. For more information about Foothills Baptist Church of Loveland, Colorado, you may visit our website at foothillsbaptistchurch.com. If you wish to donate to this radio ministry, please make your check payable to Foothills Baptist Church and mail to P.O. Box 771, Loveland, Colorado, 80539. Or you may go to our website at foothillsbaptistchurch.com and click on the Give tab. We would love to have you visit our regular Sunday services with morning worship at 9.30, Sunday school at 10.50, and Sunday evening at 5 o'clock. And until we meet again, be sure you are... Living by faith in Jesus
right financial advisor help you plan for your kids awkward teenage phase and they need braces saving up for your kids college education your daughter is planning for the wedding of her dreams taking the grandkids to a Disney World cruise the wife needs to fly first class to Europe you want a boys only trip to Vegas to get away from things being able to retire and live the lifestyle of your desire with the right advisor and the right plan all of these things are possible I'm Joey Jaquin, and I want to be your financial advisor and help you and your loved ones live the life of your dreams. Let's not beat around the bush. This is going to require a lot of hard work, but I can personally guarantee that nobody will outwork me when it comes to being there for my clients. 
Too many advisors cut corners and take shortcuts to sell you. As you know, my parents raised me to be better than that. Reach me at my cell, 602-909-9048. Again, 602-909-9048. I'm Joe Jaquin, CEO of the Patriot Trading Group, and I would like to encourage everyone to make sure they are prepared financially as the Federal Reserve continues to destroy the value of the dollar. Since the closing of the gold window in 1971, the Federal Reserve has led the way in the explosion of debt and the devaluing of your money. They openly say that they need 2% inflation, which simply means they hope to devalue your money, and they want to do this every single year, year after year. I know it's hard to understand, but the Federal Reserve believes in prosperity through debt and growth via the devaluation of your future. To learn more about how to protect yourself, visit us at allamericangold.com or call us at 800-951-0592 and protect yourself against the devaluing of your money. No people will tamely surrender their liberties, nor can any be easily subdued when knowledge is diffused and virtue is preserved. On the contrary, when people are universally ignorant and debauched in their manners, they will sink under their own weight without the aid of foreign invaders. Samuel Adams. Are you tired of not seeing politics fix the biggest problems in our country? Tactical Civics has the full-spectrum solution to restore this republic and uphold the Founders' design. Are you interested in hearing how easy it is to reinstate the people's power through constitutional law enforcement? Come see us for an introduction to Tactical Civics this Saturday at 11 o'clock at the Carbon Valley Library Meeting Room, located at 7 Park Avenue in Firestone, Colorado. Find out more at tacticalcivics.com. J.D. Plorable here. Join me for my A-10 Warthog radio show, the home of truth, logic, and common sense. That's Swamp Fight, Saturdays at 12 noon. As 1360 continues to grow, we want to know what our listeners think. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. Give us your feedback. Go to 1360khnc.com and hit the contact button and give us your thoughts. You're listening to the Roar of the Rockies, KHNC, 1360 AM, Johnstown, Greeley, Loveland, Fort Collins. The views and opinions expressed on 1360 KHNC are entirely...